Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And uh, as they're walking out and transitioning, feel free to open your Bibles to um, Malachi chapter 3. <laughs> so in our bulletin, we're in uh, verses 6 through 12 of Malachi 3. And, uh, you know, I, I warned y'all uh, that at some point in the series on Malachi, we'd be here this morning, right? That we would be talking about tithing and and giving, so, um, and yet y'all still came, so um, good on y'all. Uh, before we begin, I, look, I, I think we're all aware of, of at least two things. Uh, one, uh, I, I'm aware that, that one of the quickest way to offend someone um, is to uh, talk about their money. You know, for many people, you can talk about their mamas, you can talk about their spouse, you can talk about their kids, but don't talk about their money, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's fighting words. When you talk about people's money, and maybe that's why Jesus talked about money so much, uh, because few things can pinpoint uh, what our hearts long for better than money can. Y'all see, uh, I don't know what news y'all all read, but the news I read, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was an article about this four-year-old who got on his parents' uh, computer, and uh, you know, Amazon's a, a dangerous thing for a four-year-old to start clicking around on, right? So this four-year-old bought $3,000 worth of SpongeBob popsicles and uh, somehow showed up at his house. And, uh, I mean, this is this kid living his best life, you know, with all these popsicles. Um, yeah, money has a way of pinpointing what you really are about, right? Uh, two, uh, I'm keenly aware that there have been pastors and teachers, uh, both in modern day and in the history of, of Christianity, um, who have taken this topic and leveraged it to prey on the vulnerable, uh, leveraged it to launch a capital campaign, uh, or really just to build their own kingdom. And, and since this has been handled so poorly by many, please know this before we even start. Um, so in, in shepherding, or the keeping of sheep, like the literal keeping of sheep, um, there's this, uh, this thing that happens called being hefted. Uh, or as Scottish people would say, heaved. I mean, that, that sheep is heaved. Um, you know, sheep can, you know, we know the sheep can kind of wander off, right? They can kind of go and get lost. Um, but something happens, something happens in their, their brain all of a sudden that this field, this herd, this shepherd is where they belong. And, and that they actually become accustomed and, and attached to like a, a literal particular area and a literal shepherd. And once that happens, the sheep are considered hefted. And once that happens, it's really hard to drive them off. You drive them off and they want to come back to their land. Like, this is their spot. Uh, that's their home. That, that piece of land is where their, their true north points. And so in Britain, uh, generation after generation of generation of sheep farmers have raised sheep that have all found the same home in the same upland pasture and and what people have found is that sheep aren't the only creatures that get hefted to things. Uh, humans also get hefted. Um, you know, we can become accustomed and we can become attached to a place. 
uh, to a people, uh, it's where we belong. And, and so before we get, I want you to know, like, like over the past, especially the last few painful years uh, for me, um, this Alabama boy has become hefted to Greenwood, um, and particularly to y'all. Um, like, when, when I look out on y'all, like, y'all are my family. Like, I, y'all are my people. I, I'm, I'm hefted uh, to you. And so know that if anything that is said this morning that particularly convicts you or challenges you, it's done so in love, like, totally. Like, I'm not trying to stick it to anybody. Um, it's done so in, in love. Um, so, I, and two, I hope that you see at some point this church, I hope you see this church, this fellowship, as, as your upland pasture, <laughs> as your heft. Um, but most importantly, I hope that we all, obviously, we'd be hefted to Jesus. Uh, that as we go through life and we wander off at times, or that we would always come back, uh, that we would always know the place on the mountain that is our home, so to speak. Um, we would know who we are and, and whose we are. And um, so before we begin, may, may anything you take away from this sermon be, be that, um, that this is not about giving more and trying more. Or it's, it's, no, it's, it's may our giving be in response to first being hefted to Jesus, hefted to the one who gave it all uh, for us. Um, so with all that said, let's, let's pray, and then we'll read God's word. Uh, Father, your word tells us that the horse is made ready for battle, but the, the victory, um, it, it belongs to you. And so, uh, Lord, I, I, I've made this sermon as good as I can get it. It's, it's prepared as good as I can, but Lord, I still need you to come. And so may you come. And as we read this text and as we talk through this, some ways a delicate topic, that, that you would come and take the victory, uh, Lord, that you would penetrate hearts. Um, awaken us to the wonder that is Jesus. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Malachi 3, 6 through 12, Malachi writes, uh, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. You know, this past year, the, the big question is we've all, we've all asked it. It's like the, the big question, of course, is um, have you been tested, right? Have you tested positive? How, how did the test results come out? Um, have you tested positive for the virus? And if you did, what were your symptoms? Did you lose your smell? Did you have headaches? Did you have trouble breathing? Uh, what were your symptoms? Uh, well, Scripture tells us that, that there's a bigger question 
um, than that. There's a bigger question than, are you infected with COVID? Um, it's, are you infected with the grace of God? Um, are you infected? And if we are, then like COVID, there will be certain symptoms that kind of just come out as a response of our being infected by grace. Um, and one of those symptoms or fruit is how we handle our resources, right? Uh, so in verse 7, there's this correlation between returning to God and, and generosity. Um, that that the, the bigger God is in our view, the more open our hands become. And also the opposite is also true. The further we are removed from God or run from God, the tighter we get, the more we come curved in on ourselves. Um, and so there's this correlation um, that the, the, the bigger God is in our view, the more open our hands become. But remember, Malachi was written to a people who had wandered far away from God. Um, they had turned in on themselves, that they had lost the thrill and the joy of salvation. Uh, this is written as we in our, our theme, our title, is it's written to a people who were lost in the middle. And as happens when people get lost in the middle, they found themselves doubting God's love. Uh, they found themselves uh, anemic in their worship, unfaithful to their marriages. And as we see today, they, they were stingy in their giving. Uh, their, their hearts had so drifted that they were that they were robbing God and didn't even know it. They, they asked, like, what, God, how are we robbing you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. Um, have y'all have you ever been robbed? Have, you, have any of y'all had your homes broken into? I know, I know some some of you have. Um, how did that make you feel when you got robbed? How did that make you feel? Um, you know, growing up, we grew up in the country, so our house was basically like open, uh, open season on any thief. Um, so growing up one summer, a thief took a crowbar to our door, ran through our house, you know, just pulling drawers open and everything, and, and grabbed computer, electronics, guns, whatever they could, could get out of there with. And I remember being so angry. You know, you get home and there's, your door is just pried open and all your stuff's gone. Um, and so there was a thought that they didn't catch this person. There was thought that they were probably just going to come back and keep coming back the next day and the next day. That's what was happening in our little area. And, and so that summer, I had a summer job uh, in Tuscaloosa, but I was calling, I would call the house during the day. And this is back when you like you have an answer machine at the house that when you leave a message, it, it is broadcast throughout the whole house. You know, I would call <laughs> and leave a message on the answer machine to the thief in case the thief was there. And it was, uh, you know, how, you know, 18, 19 year olds, they do just stupid stuff. You know, this is like of the Liam Neeson variety of a message. It was like, I will find you, you know, get out of my house. Um, so angry. You know, you get angry when someone takes something that is not theirs to, to have, right? Well, this was a wake-up call uh, to the, God, the people of God. So it's, have you... How have we robbed God, is the question. Well, to understand what, this, what God is asking here and understand the passage, we first got to understand just the Old Testament principle of the tithe. That's our first point. Old Testament principle of the tithe. And then secondly, um, we've got to ask, okay, well, what does that even mean for us today? Okay. Um, so first, in the Old Testament, the tithe was, was 10%. Okay, men means 10. The tithe was 10% of your harvest. And so in the ancient world... Um, there was an agrarian economy. And so if you were a planter, that meant that 10% of, of your harvest, that was your crop, that was your tithe. If you raised sheep, 10% of your livestock was given to the Lord. And, and you know, you, you may ask me, why? Why, God? I mean, God doesn't need, need it. Um, well, the tithe was given 
by the Lord as an opportunity for us to worship. It was an opportunity to remember that God had delivered them out of slavery. Like they hadn't, they hadn't owned any land up until this point. It had brought them out of slavery into a land for them to possess. And God had given them blessings and crops. And it was a reminder that the earth is the Lord's, right? And, and the fullness thereof, it all belongs to him. And God said, look, I just want a token. Just, just a token. Just, just ten. Just give me ten. That will be enough to remind you of, of who you are and, and whose you are. And so that's the ultimate purpose of the tithe. It's a, a declaration to, to proclaim God's ownership over us. Um, that's what it was in the Old Testament. It's to say, God, thank you for the blessings. And, and now we may hear 10% and say, man, that sounds like a lot. Um, but in the ancient world, that was a really gracious and really low number. Um, remember, if you read, you, know, you read about Joseph in Egypt, you know, Joseph instituted a 20% tax. Um, the, the typical royal, uh, like average royal tax in the ancient world was often around 33%. You know, it's pretty similar to uh, the tenant farmer days, maybe here in, in Mississippi, where um, you know, the tenant farmer uh, would work the land and then he would pay one-third of his profits back to the landowner. And so it was a 33% deal. And, and then he and his family had to live off two-thirds of, of what they made. Well, God is an extremely gracious landlord uh, because he owns it all. And yet, uh, he just asks for 10. And again, it's not about him needing the money. Again, like 10% was, was just enough to remind you uh, of who gave you that job, who gave you that land, who gave you that ability, who gave you that blessing. And so the tithe was, we got to see, is a very tangible way to worship. Like, you don't have to know how to pray to worship through a tithe. You don't, know, have to, you don't have to know all the churchy words. Like It's a very tangible way, uh, opportunity just to give thanks to the great and gracious God, which that's what worship is. Like We come and we say, God, thank you. You're great. We ascribe worth to Him. And, and so we see this uh, principle uh, even earlier in Genesis with, as Josh read this morning with Abraham and Melchizedek, with the lesser Abraham giving to the greater uh, Melchizedek. And so a tithe is a declaration that God is greater. God is, is greater. Okay, well, if God does, he doesn't need our money, well, then where did the Old Testament tithe go to? Uh, and look, quick aside on this, if any of y'all have ever done a deep dive in tithing, you know that there is a lot of debate on the Old Testament tithing system. Was it four tithes? Was it two tithes? Was it three tithes? Where all did the, so I'm just going to try to make it as simple as I can in just three big areas where the tithe money or tithe crops um, went to. So first, uh, the tithe went to um, worship festivals. Um, so people brought their tithes to the temple to worship the Lord during certain festival times. And then the Lord, in turn, took those tithes and gave them to the people and let them eat the tithe. So you bring the tithe to worship, then the Lord would say, all right, now eat the tithe. Um, it was given as an act of worship, but then it was enjoyed by all the congregation. And, and, you know, it's kind of ironic that today, you know, people get all bent out of shape about churches having fellowship meals and crawfish cookouts and, and say, I can't believe you're using offered money. Y'all are using tithe money just to eat in fellowship. And I want to say, like, what do you think the Old Testament tithe was for? Like, that's what it's for. Um, and, and so, like, maybe God's not who you think he is. Um, I mean, what financial planner tells you that you need to set aside money to party? You know, who does that? 
That, that's definitely not one of Dave Ramsey's baby steps. He missed that one, right? And yet God says, no, set aside some of your money to come to gather together and worship me together. There's something very special that happens um, when that happens. So, so the tithes pay for the food, it pays for the lights, it pays for the air conditioning. It helps provide the setting for God's people to come together and worship together and fellowship together, um, to grow together. And yes, look, I've heard the complaint that we spend a lot of money on pumpkins, okay, um, just to be smashed at our pumpkin chunking every year. Um, but you know, that, that, I mean, that is our biggest outreach event right there. And um, we, we have people who have literally joined our church and thus benefited from the gospel like because of pumpkin chunking. Did you know that? I mean, like, like literally, there are people who have joined the church because of that. Um, so that's the first thing. You just, you, they, they would give towards uh, worship festivals, um, these parties that God's people would celebrate. Second thing, the tithe, Old Testament tithe was given to the relief of the poor. Um, Deuteronomy 14 lays this out about uh, how the tithe was for sojourners or so for immigrants or for the homeless or for people who just, they don't really, they're kind of refugees. Uh, so the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widows within their towns. In other words, it was you know those who lacked the social network that didn't have the family or friends who would kind of bring them in when they were in a bind to help them out. So people who had no who had no help, uh, the ties would go towards helping the most uh, economically vulnerable, the immigrants, uh, the widows, the orphans. Um, and, and then the third thing, the tithe went to um, it went to the Levites. And then this is where, the, you know, it's, is it four tithes, three tithes? How many tithes is it? Then, then the Levites would take a tenth of what they got, and then they would tie the tenth to the priest, a, a subset of the Levites. Um, so the Levites, well, um, the Levites received the tithe because if you remember when, um, when they came into the promised land, each of the 12 tribes of Israel were allotted a portion of land. This was kind of their place. This was how they made their living. And uh, in an agrarian economy, having land's pretty, pretty important, right? I mean, like, that's how you take care of your family. That's how you provide, is the land. Um, that's why the land flowing with milk and honey is such a good thing. That means that you can actually, like, not die of poverty. Um, and so, okay, all the 12 tribes got that, got some land except for one tribe, right? Uh, the Levites weren't allotted any land, uh, because we find that uh, the Lord was their portion. The Lord was their inheritance. And so it was their job not to go out and you know, work in the marketplace or to you know, uh, plant crops. It, it was their job to maintain the temple, to teach scripture, and to minister to the people. And, and so the other 11 tribes together, they band together, and they paid a tithe on what they made, um, basically so that the, the Levites could survive. So the Levites could have a way of, of living. Um, that was the tithe. But, but, but as we see in Malachi here, there was a huge problem because people weren't, weren't bringing their tithes, which led to, in this time period, led to the Levites um, finding side hustles. Um, a lot of their pastors, were, were, uh, they were getting a job. They, went, they just lit, left the church and got a job that, that you know, could adequately pay for their families. And so the Levites were going out and they were getting real jobs uh, out in the marketplace. And all the while, there was no one teaching God's word. It's a huge, huge issue. And, and it so angered God. God's like, get those Levites back in the temple. 
back to studying my word and back to teaching the word to the people. And, and that, like, like that, that is a real job. And uh, this lack of tithing uh, was revealing the condition of their hearts and their, and their lack of, of gratitude towards God. And, and so, as you see in our passage, God was very, very clear. You, you can tell that God has dealt with Presbyterians, right? Because he's very specific here. Um, he says, I, I, don't, I don't think you understand. Like, when I say tithe, like, I, I mean, like, the full tithe. Like, I, bring it all, the whole thing, bring it into the storehouse. And in, in modern day, it may sound something like, you know, there's money in your bank accounts, and there's money in your nice truck notes. Um, there's money in your extra vacations uh, that really belongs to God. Um, why are you robbing him? Bring, bring the whole tithe to the temple, is what he would have said back in the day. Or who knows, you know, you know it's possible that they, um, that they gave some of what they considered to be their tithe to the ancient equivalent of FCA or French camp or, you know, some para temple organization and if you know it's kind of like those things and if you add it all up all of my giving is about a tenth it kind of you know it works out um but but god says no like like the the tithe isn't yours you know like it's not yours to decide where that where that money or harvest goes it's not yours to decide how to allocate it like so if you support something else then you support that on your your portion of of your harvest but bring the full tithe into the temple. And now look, if the temple, if they are in, in modern day, if the church decides that they want to then give some of the tithe money to FCA or French camp, then, then great, okay? Um, so during the reign of King Hezekiah, revival broke out. Um, and in response uh, to this re revival, response to the goodness of God, people began actually giving as God called them. And they found that when that happened, that they didn't have enough room for all the stuff. And so they built these storerooms in the temple. And, and so don't think of, um, again, we got like Scrooge McDuck where he's got this like vault of just, you know, coins and stuff. Um, the storerooms, I mean, remember the tithe back then, like the money system was, was crops, right? So there was big bins of grain, I guess, was, was how they stored it up. Uh, and so they had to actually add on to the temple just to hold it all, which tells us that like, you know, Revival actually literally affects the architecture, the architecture of the temple, um, and it would here too as well, right? It does in, in all churches. Um, for instance, you know, if if all of our members who are on our rolls at Westminster um, came just came to worship, um, this room couldn't hold us all, and yet I'm, it looks like we got we got some room enough in here, right? I mean, if, if, if there was obedience and revival, like we would be knocking out walls and trying to figure out, all right, how can we all get together to worship God um, together? But um, Sandy Wilson said this, so I didn't say this, but Sandy Wilson said, um, he said, churches today aren't designed for obedience. <laughs> uh, they're built for slackers. Um, you always, you, you take what your role is and you build something a little smaller than that because not everybody can come. Um, so God's people have been slackers for a long time, though, you know. Uh, a quick, quick aside, you know, there's, um, y'all probably have heard back in, in Britain when they, the, you know, the Great Awakening, they had all these revivals over there and here um, that um, at some point um, people were so convicted of all the things that they had stolen and all the things they had robbed their workplace of that the shipyards in, in England, um, they actually, people started, 
returning all the stuff that they stole uh, after they became believers. And it was so much that the shipyards had to build entire warehouses just to house all the stuff that was stolen uh, by, by their workers um, that was returned. Um, but like we said, we, we, we've always been slackers uh, for a long time. And, and the crazy thing is God still loves us. Uh, e- even as slackers, you know, this is where we see the gospel pop in our passage in verse 6. Uh, it's, he causes, you know, sometimes God causes children, children of Abraham. And that's kind of a good thing. Children of Jacob ain't, ain't always that good of a thing, right? Um, because at first glance, that's not really a compliment because if you know Jacob, I mean, Jacob was a cheater. You know, it's, it's on purpose that he's calling people, these, quote, robbers, children of Jacob. Jacob was a cheater, a swindler. You could even call him a robber. But you know what? God loved Jacob in spite of Jacob. As we, we found at the beginning of this, this uh, series, God loves you just because he loves you. Like, like just because. Um, and that love transformed the heart of that cheater, Jacob, into a heart that loved the Lord. And, and God can also do the same for you. It's what Gene read this morning. It was they first gave themselves to the Lord, and in response to what the Lord had done, all this stuff just kind of started happening. Um, you know, it's interesting. Typically in the Bible, we're told, like, don't test the Lord. You know, uh, Jesus said, you don't, don't put the Lord to the test. And yet this is the only place in all of Scripture that God actually does ask us to test Him. God says, look, just try me. Just, just try it. Try me. Give your tithe and just, just see if you're not blessed. And of course, you know, we read this as astute theologians and we're like, well, yes. I mean, God is going to give us blessings, this beautiful future, new heaven, new earth. There is blessings there that we're hoping for and longing for. But at the same time, as you read this, um, God's like, look, I don't want you to over-spiritualize this. Because if you live declaring my lordship over you, you're going to receive blessing in some form now. Um, joy now. Like, like he promises that. Okay. Well, well, in a nutshell, that's our passage. Uh, and that's the Old Testament principle command of tithing. But as we close, what does all this mean for us today? You know, isn't that a big, the big question, right? Um, how does the Old Testament principle of tithing transfer into the New Covenant era? Because, you know, not everything transferred, right? You know, a lot of that ceremonial system and lambs and goats and like all that didn't quite transfer. So what does this mean for us? Because the last time we checked, there isn't a temple anymore, uh, nor are there Levites uh, anymore. So what does it mean for us? Well, look, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. Um, believers have been torn over this. Um, you know, depending on the church, depending on who you talk to, they're going to probably give you a different opinion um, over whether the tithe or the 10% of your crop, whatever your crop is. You know, for many of us, our crop is our salary. You know, maybe it's uh, investments, maybe it's real estate, whatever it is that's your crop, that's, that's what they're talking about. But the question is, is that still binding? Is the tithe binding today or not? And so I'm going to do the only thing I know how to do or what to do in this case. I'm going to give you the case for it, that the tithe is still binding. I'm going to give you the case against it, that it's no longer binding today. Uh, and then try to finish up just <laughs> with a way forward um, on this. Um, the case for it. You know, a careful reading of the Old Testament will show that the tithe, this idea of ten, giving ten to, to somebody, it actually predates the ceremonial law. And so we say ceremonial law is done away with from Jesus. 
But that's okay because just like the Sabbath, the tithe was actually before all that. So um, as we mentioned, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. It was a tribute that Abraham gave to the king, the lesser giving to the greater as a tribute. Fast forward into the temple era, and uh, you have the children of Abraham tithing to the, the great king, right? The lesser to the greater, to God. And then you fast forward into the New Testament, and we find in Galatians that now we as believers, we are now the children of Abraham. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the true and better Melchizedek, that this mysterious figure who is both priest and king um, was really pointing us to the ultimate priest and king, uh, Jesus. And so the argument is, biblical theological argument, is that, well, now we too have an opportunity to tithe from the lesser to the greater, declaring him great, uh, that, that when we give, um, we are, I mean, it's really kind of countercultural. It's almost revolutionary. When we give, we are declaring that there is only one true king, and it's Jesus. He is our king. He is who we serve. Um, and so, I mean, that, that's kind of the argument for people who think it's still, I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, right? I mean, it's just, you know, Abraham, Melchizedek, we're Abraham, the children of Abraham, they're still Melchizedek. Okay, but the problem is, is the New Testament also says some other things about giving. Uh, for one, the only percentage that Jesus ever explicitly commended uh, wasn't 10%, it was 100%, <laughs> you know, with the widow in the temple, right? Um, I mean, like, how do you respond? How could you possibly respond to the fact that in Jesus, not only are we saved and forgiven and loved by the creator of the universe, but like, like he is our once and for all sacrifice. Like, there, like, we don't have to do that anymore. It's like, it's done, done in Jesus. Well, we respond, as we see in the New Testament, by giving our all. You know, Paul calls us, our new sacrifice is a living, a life. Our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so it's not like, Jesus, I guess you can have 10% of me, I guess. It's like, no, Jesus, you got it like it all. It's all. It's all yours. Everything. And, and so that's why after the resurrection and when the church began, giving, was, giving looked different and it was um, all of a sudden like you don't have, you just don't, the, the concept of the tithe just kind of disappears once the church is established. Um, the, the concept of giving is explained differently. And so now, now, just like in the Old Testament, we still see New Testament believers giving. So there's still that going on um, and giving to at least three categories. First, we see uh, people are, are giving to support well, the mission of the church, right? The, what the church is about to support just the general ministry of, of the church um, because ministry costs money. Um, second, they gave to provide for those who were in need. You know, you see that in Acts 2 at the beginning of the church. You see that as, as Paul went on his missionary's journeys, he's, he's collecting, you know, he's getting a collection to send back to Jerusalem because they had a lot of need there. And, and then third, and look, you know I get to it, um, they gave to provide the salary of their pastors. That's what, what the tithe or what giving was for. And similar to the Levites, there are some who make a living from the gospel, and, and we're told that we need to make sure we're taking care of our pastors. And, and it's, it's just simple math. If the congregation doesn't provide it, then the pastor nor his family don't, don't get it. And um, I, I know that people will say, well, what about Paul? Paul is bivocational. Why don't you just go get another job? Well, Paul made it very clear that he was a very unique situation. He says, that's not the ideal. Like, I'm bivocational so that I'm not tied to one congregation. I can kind of just run all over the place. 
But he says, like, for somebody who is a local church pastor leader there, like, don't muzzle the ox, take care of them. Um, and so God said, it's, it's on you to take care of your ministers, to free them up, not to worry about money so that they can just focus on, on ministry. And so we, we still see people giving, right, in the New Testament. Um, but, but there's no longer, as we said, a, a specific instruction about a tithe. Rather, the language is much more focused on the heart of the giver. Um, you know, in Acts, we see that after, after seeing and understanding what Jesus was about, what he was doing, the believers were in awe. And they responded to, to the gospel with generous hearts that they weren't compelled to give, but they, they gave freely. Like in response to Jesus, you know, that's what we saw in what, what Gene read this morning with the Macedonians, right? I mean, like no preacher had to beg them to give. You know, if anything, they begged Paul. They're like, Paul, can we please give to you? Can we please give to what the Lord is doing? And, and, and the, the gospel makes people generous. So that's the first thing. We just see like you give generously. The second thing we see is uh, the Bible or Paul also tells us to give uh, proportionately. You know, being generous means different things to different people who are, you know, in different financial situations. And so the Macedonians, we find, were in extreme poverty. And yet what they gave was considered generous. Um, and, and then, you know, Paul goes on in Timothy to remind those of us, or those who are better off, those who are, quote, rich, to be rich in the Lord, uh, to, to, that, that God has put you in a situation to give like only rich people can give, um, that there's probably going to be some people who are doing a lot of the heavy lifting as far as how the church goes and how the ministry is funded, and, uh, and that's okay. That's, that's, that was how it was in the New Testament era, or the early church era as well. Um, also, uh, third, I can't remember what, what point this is, but we'll, we'll just go with it, all right? Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, this is third thing, right? Okay, so yeah, 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 generous, proportionate, Third, uh, Paul also told the believers in, in Corinth to set aside your, your giving. So there is this idea that, that, that like you don't wait until the end to see what's left and what you can give, but like you actually plan it. You, you, you look at your financial situation and you be like, all right, this is what, I, I, we can give this to the work of, of the gospel, and you set it aside. You, you plan that into your, your budget. And, and so it's not like you show up to church and you just so happen to have a $20 in bill in your pocket. Oh, I guess I'll give that. But it's, it's like, think, think through this. This is worthy of your thoughts and plans. Um, and then finally, we're told to give in joy, um, to be cheerful givers. In, in other words, like if you're giving begrudgingly, then keep your money. I mean, really, I, we don't want your money if that's your, your heart. Okay, God doesn't need your money. What God wants is he wants your heart. He, he wants you to see Jesus is so amazing that you enjoy, respond to him. Um, it's for you to know the historical gospel that, that Jesus Christ like, really came. Like, this isn't like just, you know, stuff that we just kind of like think about in our minds. This is like real stuff. He really came to the ancient Near East, and he really lived in Nazareth. And, and though he was rich, he, though he owns everything, yet for our sake, he became poor, and he died on the cross so that by his poverty, you might become rich. That, that in him, you, like you would be called a child of the king. And, and when we get that, you know, when the coin drops and that just, we get it, we see the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, then our hearts will respond 
in, in joyful, sacrificial generosity, paying tribute to our King. Amen? Well, that's it. I'm sorry. I, I don't, if, if you're looking for like specifics of how much percentage you need to give each, like, I'm sorry, it's, it's on you. It's, it's on your heart, you know. How do you respond uh, to the gospel? Um, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, and we also thank you for your generosity. Um, that the reality is, is Lord, like we, we'd be tempted to give like 100% to you and to just like figure out life. Um, but Lord, you, you've been so gracious, so generous to us. Um, Lord, that you don't necessarily demand everything. Uh, what you want is our, our heart. So Lord, give us a heart that sees Jesus as beautiful, as, as worthy of, of all. And may we live out our lives and do our finances and pursue whatever it is that we pursue in life in light of that. Uh, Lord, give us hearts for your kingdom. Um, awaken generosity in us. Awaken cheerfulness uh, in us. Uh, may we plan, plan and give to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.